Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Dina Farmer. Dina is a certified autism travel professional, the founder of Lillian Magnolia Travel, and the mother of a 10-year-old autistic boy. Her goal is to help parents plan autism-friendly family vacations while avoiding stress and overwhelm. In today's conversation, we discuss Dina's passion for traveling, how traveling with an autistic loved one benefits the world, overcoming challenges on a trip, what it means for an establishment to be an autism-certified center, requesting accommodations while away from home, common questions family asks when thinking about a vacation, and how to make kids feel more included in the planning process. In this episode, discover what's possible when travel is for everyone. To learn more about Dina and her work, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you, Dina Farmer. Hi, Dina. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I'm really, <laughs> really excited to speak with you today. <laughs> So let's start with a brief introduction. So I am Dina Farmer. I am the owner of Lily and Magnolia Travel. It is a full-service um, certified autism travel agency. And my biggest passion, especially in the name of my travel agency, is to help other families with autistic children travel the world. <laughs> Great. So your older son is autistic, correct? Yes, he is. Tell us about him. How old is he and what are some of his interests? He is 10 years old. His interests are ever changing. It's hard to like pinpoint one thing, but <laughs> currently he's really into Roblox and art. I don't think that's ever changed. He's very much an artistic kiddo and video games in general can change. He could play like I'm sure everybody else can sympathize, but at least like a bunch of different games in one day and one <laughs> gaming session. But basically art and video games, those are his two huge passions. Cool. So he was just recently diagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. What was that like for you and your family? Um, well, I'm sure that you've had guests or other listeners um, listening to this and kind of can sympathize with my story, which is he wasn't at the point on where he's at in the autism spectrum to be fully diagnosed at a really young age. There was lots of, oh, he'll grow out of it. Oh, that's just a boy thing. You know, uh, that's nothing. Like, that's normal behavior for a toddler to display kind of thing. So I spent eight years asking pediatricians over and over for diagnosis or like an not diagnosis, but an evaluation to see, you know, if he might have something going on. And 
I feel like mom always knows best. I literally live with him <laughs> every single day, you know, so they're not seeing everything that I was seeing while I was at home with him. And he doesn't necessarily display these behaviors out in public. So it just took a really, really, really long time to get someone to hear me. And I think that the final push was when my youngest son was born and my, my, sorry, I don't want to get a little, like getting a little emotional about that, but like my dad finally, um, my dad said something to me and I was like, I know I hear you, but nobody else is listening to me. And I feel like I'm going crazy because like, I guess these are normal behaviors and this is the way my life is going to be. And I might as well accept the way that it is. But finally, when we moved to Colorado, I asked my son's pediatrician again, hey, I just really want to get an evaluation. And this pediatrician said, sure, here's the information. Go see this um, developmental pediatrician. And once she took one look at him, she's like, okay, um, here's your, (laughs) you know, he is autistic and here's your diagnosis. These are the next steps. And it felt super overwhelming at that point to hear all of that and go, wow, okay. Like all this information that I've been telling people for years is like real. And now like, what do we do mm-hmm. <laughs> after this point? So it was uh, sorry, a really big whirlwind journey of like trying to get someone to hear me and then someone to eventually help my child because I, I only had so many resources available to me as his mother, you know? Yeah. And I tried, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough, unfortunately, for me by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's not enough for other people, just for me. I didn't have what I needed to help him. Mm-hmm. That's really surprising now. Right. With your son being 10 years old and how much we know about autism now compared to even 50 years ago that you were turning to doctors and they were like, oh, this is normal behavior. You would think someone would have caught some red flags even five years ago. Right. You would think so, but I don't know. What state were you in? Just curious at that point. I was in Arizona and Hawaii um, because I didn't say that. We're a military family. And I don't know if it's maybe like, I really don't know because it was a mixture of military doctors and civilian doctors. So I don't know. One of them you would think would have caught it, but maybe maybe I didn't use the keywords (laughs) to ask for what I needed, you know, but I didn't also know where I was headed with this. So it was hard um, because I had a friend that had an autistic child, but she, didn't say anything to me because she was worried that I would take it the wrong way. I feel like if someone just did like what my dad did, which is to say, like, I really think maybe you should go try to get him evaluated over and over and over again. And especially from a person that also has an autistic child, maybe that would have given me the words <laughs> that I might have needed to, to talk to these pediatricians because they all kept saying nothing's wrong except for the toe walking, which was, I know that's one of the big red flags is toe walking. And the only thing they gave me was physical therapy for him. And I was like, this is not enough, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So when you finally did get the diagnosis, was there a feeling of relief and validation of some sort? I think that's exactly what it was. It's like, I feel like us millennials especially have this, <laughs> like we're all on this journey of like healing from, you know, childhood trauma. And that's like the exact word of like, I've been 
put through all of this and like been asking over and over, am I crazy? Am I the one that's wrong? And then to actually get the diagnosis and go, okay, now that I know, now I can help my son instead of being like, this is, I don't know what's going on. And I just felt like, yeah, exactly. Like a relief and validation of, I can finally help him. I can finally reach him. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of supports did he receive at first and does he still receive now? So he will think we're only in ABA right now and speech therapy, uh, but not, you know, not for speaking. It's more for helping him develop handwriting and (laughs) and spelling right now. But when we first started, it was like the big four players of occupational therapy, physical therapy, ABA, and then speech. And it's been a really wild journey of a whole year of how much like he's worked so hard and like gotten down, well, maybe longer than a year, but he's gotten like rid of all these other therapies because he's just amazing. (laughs) He's like such a great kid. And like, he works, he just works so hard. And like once somebody was able to reach him and we found the right RBT, Oh my, I just felt like all the other therapies started clicking and he was just like, oh my God, I love, I'm not going to say her name, but he loves this particular RBT and like, they're just like big buddies. They talk about Harry Potter all the time. Yeah. I just want to mention RBT is registered behavior technician for our listeners who don't know. And ABA is applied behavior analysis. Ah, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just like really great, like how far he's come from like just screaming on the floor at me when he needs help as opposed to now that he just says, mom, I need help with this. And sometimes he just get upset. He's a human, not a robot, but like he, to be able to tell me rather than me trying to guess what's the matter, you know, I'm just like, Oh, what a, like, this is so great. Like everybody, like communication is so important. And like, even if he couldn't, if he was not able to speak, like if we had the tools to be able to use an you know, like, what is it, AAC device? Mm-hmm. Augmentative alternative communication device. It's just great that he's able to ask me for help and, um, you know, learning self-regulation and how to deal with these big emotions. And I try really hard to sit with him, but, you know, <laughs> it's it's you can't always be there to constantly regulate for your child. And it's amazing that he's learning these skills because someday – He's going to be out in this big, scary world, and, like, I'm not going to be here forever. I wish I would be, but, like, I just – these tools need to be taught to him so that when he's an adult, he can navigate the world by himself. Yeah. So, yeah, what are some of his strengths? Oh, my God. He's, like, so smart. (laughs) He pretends that he isn't, but he's incredibly smart. Like, we um, we also homeschool, so – I'm just watching him like blossom in homeschooling with just having these short snippet lessons instead of these long, you know, six, seven hour days, however long school is and being able to be taught something, you know, a couple of times in a lesson and just get it and not have to keep redoing it over and over and over again. It's just amazing. Like how smart he is. And watching what we've learned, because he doesn't necessarily like to perform when we're doing homeschooling, but when we're out, like out of school, for example, he'll just come back with these things that I'm like, 
you acted like you didn't understand that while we were learning, but now you're just dropping it on me like this, <laughs> <laughs> this really comfortable place. And I, I just like amazed with how his brain works with like not only math, but also I think math and art like go pretty close together in the big picture, right? And being able to see how like detailed his drawings are and the combination with how smart he is and he speaks so eloquently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I'm like, I don't know what 10-year-old speaks like that, but <laughs> my gosh, and I he's just such a kind kid. And I, I love that about him. Like he just even if someone is being mean to him, he can very like and I feel like that is a strength to be able to be just strong enough to say I don't like the behavior that you're displaying towards me, but I'm still going to be nice to you, but not tolerate it. So he'll say something kind to the, the other kid that might necessarily be mean and nice to him and to say like, this is, you know, this is not okay, but I'm not going to yell back at you. I'm not going to give you back what you're asking, you're throwing at me and just walk away. And like a lot of adults don't even right. have that. Straight, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> yep. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just beautiful that he is able to go, mm not going to tolerate that. But also, I don't feel like I need to be nasty back at you. And I, ugh. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> How is his relationship with his younger brother? Uh, you know, they're siblings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of the time they get along and sometimes they don't. I love that he is thrilled. They they have a kind of a big age gap. They're like six years apart. So it's really hard to, like, they can't play, play together in the same, because he's still a toddler. So he's, you know, destroying his Lego creations or interrupting his video game time. And yeah, I think as they get older, it'll be a, a much stronger relationship. It's kind of hard to have a relationship with a toddler. But, but I think when little, you know, the little guy gets, like probably worth his ages now, I think the relationship will be a lot better. But right now it's a little chaotic because he's a toddler. Right. So. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. Excuse <laughs> the behavior. Yeah. All right, Dina. Well, let's talk about your business as a travel advisor. How did you get into this industry? So I originally joined in 2018 and I... um I had recently broke up with Disney, but that was my big um, seller was I really loved selling Disney vacations. Well, I loved going to Disney and I was looking for a job or business or something that I could have for myself because like I said, we're a military family, so we travel like all over the world. And sometimes it's really hard for military spouses to have jobs or keep jobs, even if they're, you know, something professional like a nurse or I'm just giving that one an example or a lawyer or something like that. So I stumbled on an article about um, how travel would be a perfect career for military spouses. So I launched my business <laughs> after I read that article. Mm-hmm. Um, I signed up with a host and yeah, I just started selling Disney vacations mostly. And then when my son got his diagnosis, which was right before the pandemic, I decided to pivot after I went to a conference and started talking to other travel advisors about my thoughts about switching to accessible travel and maybe travel for autistic folks. And all the other advisors were like, oh my God, this is great. Because there are advisors that do do what I do, but our pool of advisors is a lot smaller than the ones that help typical people vacation. So February 2020, I decided to pivot and then 
<laughs> March happened and I was like, ah, okay. Well, I guess I'll spend the whole next <laughs> how many years screaming about <laughs> traveling with an autistic yeah. kiddo and it's like a moment I think when a lot of the world had the universe just laughing at them for whatever plans they had for 2020 especially yeah. travel plans yeah yeah for sure and um yeah I don't because I didn't go anywhere in 2020 I didn't start going anywhere till last year so yeah yeah it was just kind of an odd timing but I think in a way kind of serendipitous because it allowed me to really talk about traveling with an autistic kid without having a very, what's the word I'm looking for? An audience that was able to watch me instead of being, looking at all the beautiful Instagram pictures. Like I was able to really talk about it. And I think that was a, like a really huge benefit to the pandemic is like, oh, those people can actually listen to what I'm saying instead of being distracted by all these beautiful women in their ball gowns in, <laughs> in Iceland, you know? <laughs> right, right. So what do you love about traveling? Uh, I guess I've been doing it my whole life because I've, I've literally been in the military my whole life. But I think the biggest thing is just finding new things, like something that isn't necessarily what I would find at home. Like I love food. I don't like cooking food. I like eating food. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of the biggest thing is I love eating other countries' foods and I, I'm not a huge risk taker when it comes to food because I have a lot of tummy issues, but um, I love to be able to at least sample other foods. And I love getting to know other cultures. And one big thing that um, besides food is language for me. And I, I almost <laughs> majored in linguistics when I was in college, but I chose photography. But <laughs> <laughs> I just love hearing other languages. And I know I can go to like major cities and do that too, but it's nice to like go to other countries and listen to other people talking and watching like how they live their lives, like little snapshots of how they live their lives and just being able to experience that. Cause you, you can experience that in America, of course, but not on the same level. Like you live in, you know, overseas. So it's like, ah, I would love to do that again. I loved <laughs> living in Japan. Like that was, it was so amazing. Oh, I lived in Japan too. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Where were you? So Amori, I don't know if more, do you know where that's at? Way up north, like right before you hit Hokkaido, mm -hmm. there's like a little cape and we lived up there in the Amori prefecture. And then when I was a kid, we lived like in the Tokyo metro area, but not like in, in Tokyo, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. So can you speak Japanese? A little bit. I wish that it was, <laughs> I wish it was better. Um, yeah. I've forgotten all of mine. It's not great. I don't have anybody to talk to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. But uh, I live like Japan was one of my favorite countries to live in. And it's mm -hmm. just like the, the way they live and how kind they are to each other and like their idea of like relaxation with the onsen and uh, their food is just, I love food. Like I really, <laughs> <laughs> like my big thing, like food is so good there. It's so mm -hmm. good. It's clean and healthy. Yeah. And they walk everywhere, which is a contrast to America, you know, it's just, yeah. A lot of people don't own vehicles there because it's expensive and the train is cheap. So why not take the train, you know? <laughs> yeah. What do you love about traveling with your family? I feel like all the work, especially with my oldest son that we, that he does in therapy, it's like beautiful to see it come out while we're away from home. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. So self-advocacy, right? So I've seen him work on it and work on it and work on it in ABA and occupational therapy. And then it, you know, it kind of comes out at home. Sometimes it comes out with encounters with people in our local area, but then to see it happen in such a big way overseas is like a really amazing thing. So like we were flying to Turkey because my, that's where part of my family is from. And to watch him ask like someone if they could help me because I needed like one of those carts to push all of our luggage around. And I like had all the luggage everywhere. And he flags someone down and just like, oh, my son just asked, you know, this attendant to help his mother. And like, that is so amazing that he, you know, just a little tiny skill. It's like not a big deal to see that happen. It's like, oh my God. That's ultimate generalization (laughs) (laughs) across borders for sure. Yeah. I just, oh, I just love it. But then to like watch how, although like our language is super important, right? But at the same time, it's not. <laughs> and so, for example, we uh, the third time I went to Japan, I was pregnant with my youngest son, and my oldest son wanted to play at the playground before he flew out of Narita, and he was just really scared to play with the Japanese children. And I just said, it's okay. You know, I can stand with you if you want, or, you know, I can try really hard to speak Japanese if you want, but let's just go over there and try to play with them. So I stood over there for like five minutes and that's all it took really. And the kids just started using like hand signals and like smiles and laughing. And my son was able to play with them with no knowledge of Japanese at all. And I thought that was like, such a big lesson for him, I hope, when he gets older, but like a huge lesson on like, you don't need those skills to be able to be kind to someone and to enjoy playing with other kids, you know? Yeah. Like, this is so. Yeah, that's beautiful. So if you asked your son, what would he say is one of his favorite memories from a trip? Mm. I think it's kind of hard because he hasn't been as many places as I would like him to go due to the pandemic. Yeah. But um, he, I talk about Japan a lot because I think that's where like a lot of our big memories have come from. And he was like, mom, do you remember that time we went to Japan? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I just remember we had to walk everywhere and I was really tired. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, you're right. But you know how, remember at the, the metro station where they have the electronic ticket centers and like you could switch it to English and he remembered like having a Japanese attendant come over and like hold his little hand and Aww. like help him buy the ticket. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like he could talk about like going to Tokyo Disneyland or going to, <laughs> you know, see the Gundam and Odaiba, but no, he said <laughs> the walking and the Japanese attendant helping him with the ticket counter. And I was like that, you know. If that's what you took away from it, I feel like I did my job. Yeah. So, you know. So tell us about a time when you overcame a challenge during a trip with your family. Oh, my goodness. Um, so Walt Disney World is a very overwhelming place. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's full of people. And this was right before we got the diagnosis. So I didn't know my son was autistic at this point. And I remember we were at. Disney's Animal Kingdom, and it was 
like 80 something degrees. We're coming from Colorado where it was 30 <laughs> Fahrenheit. And my son just said, I am done. I'm tired of it. It's hot here. I don't like how muggy it feels out here. Like he used a different word to describe the humidity, but muggy is the first one that came to my mind. And he's just like tired of walking and the sun was in his eyes and his hat was too heavy. And there was just like this ongoing list of how miserable he was. And I was just like, I know that we spent a lot of money to come here, but is it worth him not having a good time or do I need to just leave? <laughs> and I decided like he's crying and having a horrible time. And his brother is like, you know, slowly getting to that point too. And dad is already starting to get really grumpy. And I'm just like, I could make all of them suffer right now. Or <laughs> we could go back to the hotel and sit in the pool where everybody could be happy. Baby gets a nap. He gets to chill in the water and, you know, play with dad and it could be better or I could just, you know, suck it up and make everybody ride the rides and do what I want because I paid all this money. <laughs> so I chose in that case to revamp our entire schedule. So, I, you know, you have to plan Disney in advance by like getting like now it's the genie, but at the time it was like getting all your fast passes and stuff like that. So I just canceled like all for the remainder of the week. I canceled like all of our fast passes and I said, forget it. Like it's not worth all this headache. We'll just go to the parks for a couple hours, go hang out at the pool. Maybe if everybody's in a good mood after the pool and a nap, we'll come back. And if not, oh, well. Yeah. And that's how we spent the rest of the time at Disney was just like, I'm not going to stress about it because it's not worth it. And if they're not having fun, you know. Defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that trip was rolling into a really massive explosion. But thankfully, I decided to like tune in to my son and say, this is not going to work for him and it's not going to work for me. So how do I change it? And that's what, <laughs> that's what we did. We spent two hours every single day at the parks. And like, I was like, this is great. I got my pictures that I wanted. He got to ride <laughs> a couple of rides and eat like all the popcorn that he wanted to. And it was still a great trip. It was still a great trip. Just the first day was like, ah, okay. Right. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You can never predict, right? Right. <laughs> but I think having that flexibility, like in your back pocket, knowing when to just let go right? Can be really valuable. Right. Having to readjust at each stage, it's easy to be like, ah, oh, this is so frustrating. Like we spent so much money and now we're going to lose it all. Or you just accept it and you're like, hey, you know what? How can we still make the most of whatever we can do that's left? But then when you take away the pressure of wanting things to be perfect, it's like, you relinquish everything. You're like, oh, okay. Right. Now I don't have to force it anymore and just let it be. Exactly. Yeah. And watch your family and, you know, like whatever, watch your family thrive on saying there's no more pressure and we all can behave how we want to behave. And I feel like that's my principle now with travel is like never plan too much. <laughs> yeah. And always be super duper flexible because especially with the pandemic, but more so with my son is like, if my kids aren't having fun, like I'm an adult and I can come back and visit later, <laughs> you know, and it's like not a big deal. I've been to Disney a million times. Like it's another country. It's not going anywhere. 
So it's like, if they're not having fun, what, why would I continue to do this to them? Cause it's only going to create a bad memory as opposed to a, the whole reason I'm on vacation, which is to create good memories and talk about like Japanese attendants helping my son at a metro station, like not, <laughs> not going, mom, it was so awful. You made me sit at Disney and now I'm like, you know, didn't want to stay here and it was hot. And I don't, I definitely don't want, like, I don't want memories like that with him, you know? Right. Not ones that I can f- actively avoid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That was a smart decision to just go chill at the pool the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> they were happier. <laughs> yeah. So how does traveling with an autistic loved one benefit the world in regards to awareness? So I think your project in particular, right, is making the world aware of autism and like not, you know, keeping it behind closed doors and hiding autistic individuals instead of saying, hey, there's how many autistic individuals in the world and like, what can we do to support them and how can we make it normal to see them out there? Like, because they're there, like, even if they're masking or whatever, like there's autistic people everywhere. There's no way to like hide it. And I feel like travel shows that it doesn't matter where you're at on the spectrum, like being able to show the world that autism is real. It affects every demographic, it affects every single country. It affects every single gender. It does like, it doesn't matter. It's everybody has someone with autism or knows someone with autism. Um, and I feel like sh- getting out there in the world and showing that makes it, I don't want to say normal, but I guess that typical, like seeing autistic people out there functioning in the world, just like everybody else, because we're all the same at the end of the day. Um, and just bringing more awareness of that with just some simple accommodations, like tours and suppliers can help families with an autistic loved one be able to travel easily. And how can we be more inclusive to everybody as opposed to just only helping a tiny little pocket of people that tra- that travel, you know. Yeah. So that's what I I really love that I think again the pandemic presented an opportunity for tourism suppliers to sit down and go, hmm, we do have autistic people that come and visit us, and how can we help these people? And I feel like the more autistic people travel, the more that tourism suppliers are going to be more apt to be inclusive and ways that they can help accommodate such as having like quiet spaces in hotels or being able to, (laughs) I just bring up this example because it like stresses me out just thinking about it, but like not like being accommodating by not putting a family in a swim up pool room (laughs) in an all inclusive resort, like just put them on the second floor or make sure that the, you know, they have like additional locks on the room or something like, so that they can't get out the sliding glass door, you know? Uh, yeah. And just things like that, that it's, it's a no-brainer, but I guess people act like some autistic children don't elope, which like <laughs> blows my mind sometimes with hotels. I'm like, but I really need you to put them like on the fifth floor and have additional locks or at least a door alarm on the sliding glass door for these reasons. You know, I'm noticing that the more that I watch other autistic people go out and travel in the world, the more accommodations are coming, which makes travel more accommodating Mm -hmm. and inclusive. Yeah. And I love that. Sorry, can you clarify what a swim-up room is? Oh, so like the room actually is connected to a pool. So once you open the sliding glass door, you can literally step out 
like oh, okay. out of your balcony right into the pool. And there's no fence or gate or anything. Okay. Got so, it. So um, there's just a child lock, which makes me super stressed just thinking about like <laughs> how he could just open the door. Yeah. I was imagining like swim up like a slide going up. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, got it. Up, yeah. Up. Yeah. <laughs> When talking about these accommodations, what does it mean when an establishment is an, quote, autism certified center? So there's an organization, and maybe you can put it in the show notes because I always get tricked up with the the spelling out the acronym, but it's called the IBCCS, and it's where I am also certified through as well. And what they do is that they train about 80% of the staff on at least some kind of level of autism awareness or autism, some kind of training with autism so that the staff can understand what they might encounter with an autistic person and like how they can best support that autistic person, especially if they're having like a meltdown in the lobby or, you know, they just need some accommodations. Like I mentioned, the door locks or being able to like bring up room service because they don't want to go down to the basement because, or not the basement. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Call the, the, the restaurant is what I meant to say, um, to eat. And there's organization like more attractions and hotels are being certified rather than entire cities or parks and recreational boards. So I think it's, it's very much a case by case basis rather than an entire city, except for one place, undertaking this huge opportunity to help autistic people, you know? Yeah. So you said except for one place. Is there a city that's autism certified? Yes. The city of Mesa, Arizona, it's just in the, it's technically in Phoenix, but you know, like in the Phoenix area, um, the whole city, according to IBCCS, is the only autism certified city in the world right now. And so that means like restaurants there got certified, hotels got certified, a lot of attractions got certified, like hospitals and police departments and the list goes on and on about how they've worked so hard. I think it was an initiative by the mayor to help autistic people come to Mesa and be able to feel, I mean, I hope (laughs) to feel, um, you know, accepted and included in a lot of the things that they do in the city. That's so great. Yeah. I think it's amazing that they've done it. Now I just would love to see other cities (laughs) do the same. Mm -hmm. So could you give an example of an establishment, whether it's a restaurant or a theme park and how they, like what kinds of accommodations they might make? One of the biggest ones, I always bring this one up whenever I'm doing interviews, but it's just the con- the irony like doesn't escape me. <laughs> but Six Flags has become an autism certified center. That's what they, the designation they give for like establishments and attractions. So what they've done with Six Flags is the staff is trained. They have to go through, again, some sort of training with the IBCCS. And then they have designations on the rides of like what kind of sensory things you might encounter on the ride, like if it's going to be dark, if it's got strong smells, if it's loud, if you get wet, which is, you know, sometimes that's a big thing. I don't like getting wet on rides. <laughs> like I would love to know that, um, <laughs> especially if it's a roller coaster and like randomly they splash you in the face, which Universal loves to do all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> But on top of like having those designations, some theme parks also have like a disability pass that helps guests that need accommodations to 
so for example, if you have trouble waiting in line, um, that pass will help you. You'll still virtually be in line, just not physically be in line. And I love that because my son, (laughs) he struggles to wait in line. So it's nice to not have to actually be physically in line. I wish that more like everywhere would do that. Like just get rid of all the lines. I'd rather just like come and scan my phone and then come back later with a return time. And then they have designated quiet areas, which I love, love, love. And it's just, you know, somewhere that's like in a wooded area where, you know, other guests can't necessarily see it. You kind of have to like go, you know, behind a bush or whatever to get there. But it's nice that it's nice and quiet. And I think a lot of airports are actually doing sensory rooms. So while you're waiting for your flight, you can go to the sensory room where it's like got the nice calming lights and calming music and, you know, low sensory encounters and be able to just chill out before you get on a plane. A lot of places are building the sensory rooms and through organizations like Culture City. I know like our library here works with them and they, it's amazing how they have like sensory areas for the kids there and like really like super quiet because you know the library is not always quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Having like a very, very quiet area within the library, which is nice. So there's, it's just like a, a lot (laughs) of um, options and like how the organization or the attraction um, chooses to be more inclusive. But I think the biggest things is like the sensory markers, having quiet spaces and like accommodations with a disability pass to be able to like make it easier to navigate those attractions or theme parks, which is like so great. Yeah. So if people are interested, they can go to the IBCCES website and look up like a registry of different autism certified centers? Yep. That, um, all over, like hospitals, police departments, um, doctor's offices. Oh, that's great. But also if you go to Autism Travel, I think it's autismtravel.com. They also have a just travel specific organizations that have become certified in some way through the IBCCS. Cool. And you are a certified autism travel professional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that entail and how would someone go about getting that certification? So you'd have to do it through the IBCCS and it's a fee-based program. So you have to pay a fee to get the training. It's all web-based, thank goodness, because I, I don't think I can fly to like, I think they're in Jacksonville. So I'm going to fly all the way out to Jacksonville for, you know, the single woman business that I am. Yeah. <laughs> but it's web-based training and it helps you to understand what you could encounter when working with an autistic individual and like identifying signs of autism and like what kind of accommodations might an autistic person or an autistic family need when they're going on vacation. And then I'm also required to do four CEs a year of additional training outside of what the IBCCS did. So I work a lot with my my son's um, BCBA for training because, you know, I care about my son. So like, why wouldn't I want to learn more about how I can best support him? Mm-hmm. And again, I have to complete that the four hours annually, but the training is only a one-time deal. And then you can decide if you just want to stop there with the training and like how you decide to run your business. But I decided that I wanted to make it more than just I book you a vacation and then you go on your way. Um, <laughs> I really want like families to have a good time, right? And I don't want them to feel 
stressed when they're vacationing. So I like to work with them so that I can know what their needs are. That way, when they before they even get on the ground, I can have accommodations in place. So for example, again, because I'm, I'm about to book this vacation, but we're trying to book an all-inclusive resort and I don't I know the mother is very concerned about her son eloping, and I don't want her to feel stressed about that or worry that he's not going to be safe at the all-inclusive because the hotel gave them a swim-up room, which is very, very dangerous for a child that elopes, you know. So, like, I, um, you know, I just want to know these things, like, especially, like, if your child elopes, like, or if they are non-speaking or, um, you know, what kind of accommodations do you need? So that way I can work with the hotel, especially because that's going to be the biggest thing that you're going to be dealing with is the hotel. And, like, how can the hotel best support them? Like, do they have security there? Do they have cameras? Do they have, I don't know the correct term, but there's a key card on the pool door. So you have to use a card, a key access to get into the pool. And, like, does the pool have those kinds of things? Or, again, the swim-up room? Like, is it possible to not have a swim up room? I know those are like highly coveted, but can we put them on the seventh floor and like make sure that there's additional child blocks on the sliding glass door? Cause I'm not necessarily worried about the hotel door as long as there's like locks that are higher up, you know, but the sliding glass door, if you have an escape artist, that's, you know, very scary. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So being able to present that to families and working with them, which is some things I think, when you're traveling, you don't necessarily think about until you're there and you're like, oh crap, I should have, I didn't know I needed to ask for that or, you know, something like that. Or just simple things like um, some hotels are really awesome right now and they are doing like sensory bags and you can request those in advance for your child. So you don't have to bring all of your stuff from home, you know? Oh, cool. Yeah. And there's probably some novelty in that also for the kids. Right, because it's new and it's not theirs. And, yeah. Yeah. I think some hotels are slowly rolling it back, of course, with COVID restrictions. There's, you know, all those mm-hmm. ah, all those things. But I think that's the biggest thing is just like – I know there's like, you know, niched boutique travel agencies that are doing certain things. But just being able to go out there and like advocate for them and remind them of like, okay, well, we need to think about all these things and – I'll handle that. And you take care of like prepping your child to go travel, especially because some children are very like routine oriented. And that is, it can be tricky to get them to go, <laughs> to right. go on vacation. You know? And if the family isn't thinking about all the accommodations they need on the ground, then they have more time to think about how they can get their child ready. I feel like that's what I've learned along the way since I got certified, you know? Yeah. What are some common questions or concerns that families have when planning a vacation? I think one of the biggest ones that I keep coming against is how can I do it? Because my child didn't tolerate the first trip we did. And I hear that. I really do. And I understand it. I mean, I I can sympathize for sure. And I don't want to like bash anybody that you should be going on vacation and you should be doing this and blah, blah, blah. I hear that. I really do. And I think the biggest thing is to start small. So there's no reason to go all the way to Okinawa (laughs) for 14 days. You know, um, there's no reason. That would be a horrible, horrible vacation. And I would never, ever book that for anybody, especially if you've never traveled before with your autistic kid. Why would you want to put yourself through that? So I always say start somewhere like in your local city. Go stay at a hotel like 
I don't know, anywhere for a weekend and test that out and see how that goes. Because yes, the first trip maybe to go see grandma and grandpa wasn't really great. But if we're removing grandma and grandpa from the situation and we're just doing it with our family and not being around a bunch of strangers and just staying at a hotel room, maybe it has a really nice pool and just staying there for a weekend, bringing something of comfort from home, like a blanket or like a lovey if they have one and just making it short and sweet and testing out those smaller trips, keep going on small, small trips. And then slowly over time, extending those trips and extending the distances that makes it easier so that when you're ready for that 14-day <laughs> Okinawa trip, then your child is better prepared for that rather than like throwing them in an ice cold water, you know? Yeah. Which sometimes I feel like going to go see family and like not preparing them for that is like, whoa, what's happening? We're completely like out of our routine. And even I get that way. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. we've been here a little while long and there's like a bunch of people that I've never met. Like I'm not comfortable with this either. So I feel like small, small, small is the way to go. And then slowly building up to the bigger trips. Yeah. Have you ever had a client with very ambitious plans that you had to kind of tone down? Yes. Um, yes. And I always, I like really like, excuse me, I like to have conversations with my clients before, you know, like what are their travel goals? What are their plans if they have any already? And like, how can we make this work? But my rule of thumb is one to two activities per day and no more. And I had a client that wanted to go to Hawaii on the big island and they just had like five or six activities for their poor little, like their little son. And I was just like, uh, no, we can't do this. (laughs) We've got to like, I know that you really want to do all of these things, but like, let's break it down to like, what is the most important? And then the rest of the stuff is just an added bonus, you know? Yeah. And just trimming those plans because at the end of the day, like the big island is really big (laughs) and your child is not going to love it after the, probably the third activity they're going to be done. So I'm really big, especially if we enter into a conversation about like, let's keep it simple and easy and spend more time relaxing because I don't ever want to hear someone tell me that they had to have a vacation from their vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I've had those. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Were you going to say something about other common questions or concerns? Oh, yes. I think the other one was just the like is there any support in place? And I, I know we've been harping about that already for the last like hour, <laughs> but there, there are supports in place. And I, I think that a lot of people ask me that question because tourism suppliers aren't necessarily doing a fantastic job of making it known that they have those things out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wish that they were just like, you know, like one drop down menu or a web page, like on their website that says, like, hey, these are the things that we do for accessible and not, or like not a paragraph of like accessibility because that's very generic and meeting a law, but it's not actually explaining like how can they help a guest when they arrive. And that's everything from like hidden to visible disabilities. Like it's not enough. And I get that question a lot of like, how can I travel there? And what can they do for me when I'm there? And the answer is a lot. They're just not telling you yeah. <laughs> what they can do. Unfor- and then, I mean, I, I guess in that regard, like it's great that I have that benefit of answering people, a privilege, I guess, of answering people's questions like that. But at the same time, 
I want to know the answers too without having to pick up a phone and call a hotel and saying, what can you do to help my client? Because yeah. they really want to come. And, you know, if it was just a little bit of information, that'd be great. But those are like my two biggest ones is definitely the fear of travel. And then what, how can I be supported like while I'm traveling? Mm-hmm. Do you ever have conversations with suppliers and then it turns into more of an educational conversation where maybe they didn't even know so much about autism and that's your opportunity to tell them what they can do? I would love to do that. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a lot of opportunities, but I, when I do go to like travel industry conferences, that's like one of my first questions for anybody that I'm interested in working with is like, can we have a conversation about and or what accommodations do you have in place already so that I can feel confident sending my clients to you. But travel conferences are slowly, slow. I don't know with this new variant. Yeah. <laughs> going to go away again. But that's been the only opportunities that I've really had is at conferences and talking to suppliers there. But I would love to do more. <laughs> okay. Could you share a like, success story with one of your clients? Some testimonies of a vacation that you planned for them that went really well. Oh my gosh. Um, this client just came back. Um, I had to check the time. I was like, when is it? They literally came back on the second. And she told me immediately that her son is autistic and she suspects that her daughter might be as well. So I, I had to really think like, well, we don't know about the daughter right now, but how can I also work with the both of them to make sure that where they're going, which they went on a Royal Caribbean cruise, is going to support them. And I think I decided to recommend Royal Caribbean because I know that they already have. I think it's, I don't want to say autism at seas, but that's the first thing that came to my head. But they have a, a like a certification, not through the IBCCS, but through someone else to help autistic travelers at sea. And I was like, okay, well, they're going on this big boat. How can I help them not feel like... <laughs> They're not being supported. Um, So I I decided to go with Royal Caribbean. And then we booked like one of the higher tier rooms that way. That's what they asked for specifically. But that way the guests could constantly have someone attending to them because I wouldn't be able to necessarily pick up the phone when they're in the middle of the ocean if they didn't buy the internet package, you know? Yeah. Because you usually make yourself available. I do while they're traveling until, you know, they get home. Yeah. And I guess... When mom came home, she was telling me how, like, the concierge that they had with them on the ship was, like, making sure that the kids were well-fed. Like, if mom wanted to go off and do something by herself, like, that they were having fun in the kids' club and that both the kids were being supported while they were on the ship and not being disregarded because, like, somebody's having a meltdown or anything that is negative to make the trip not (laughs) fun in general, but like being able to help them like have support in that regard, because that was kind of asked for. Yeah. I love that. I knew that there was someone there that was actually taking care of them while they were traveling. Mm -hmm. It was just amazing. It was just like so great to hear like how much fun they're having and like watching them through my Instagram stories because they would like tag me once they got to port and I was like this is so great like I just you know because normally I can't always see like what's happening right (laughs) if someone doesn't make it available to me so it was nice to see like little highlights of just doing that simple thing it's like not a big deal of like booking a concierge for them made it easier for them to travel and like how the kids 
just had a really great time on Royal Caribbean and like how supportive everybody was and like how like the staff was like very, very accommodating for them. And even all the meals, they got to have it in their room instead of going down to dine. I was just like, eh. yeah, job well done, Dina. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. It was, just, it was a really great trip. I loved it. I'm so, I guess like that client was really super happy. So we've already like booked their next cruise and I'm just like, this is, this is phenomenal. Like I'm so excited to like do this again on a different ship. So we're going <laughs> to. Cool. So a lot of families might not be able to afford, you know, a all-inclusive resort or a cruise on Royal Caribbean. Do you have some ideas of budget-friendly, fun getaways for families? Um, that's really hard to say, right? Because it depends totally on their location and where they live in the country. But I know that like destinations outside of theme parks, right, in Florida, there's so many opportunities in Florida to like vacation there. There's so many state parks around you that also have um, some kind of disability pass actually that will help with visiting the national parks. So I always choose national parks. That's like my big thing because I love to be outside. I don't like to camp, but I like to walk in it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, I don't know, it's hard to say because it comes down to like where you live. But if you choose to do Florida, I know that there's more than just theme parks there. Okay. Like we're moving there, but one of the biggest things that I want to do when we get there is there's like a, I think it's called Blue Springs that has the, the, I don't want to say migrating. I don't know if that's the right word, but the manatees come to winter (laughs) in the blue springs and like being able to go and see manatees because I love how they're so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or just being able to, because those things are more economical um, than going to spend, I don't know how much money at Disney, you know, that's subjective too. But on top of that, if you do want to do something like that, for example, um, like go to an all-inclusive or go on a cruise, the really nice thing about working with a travel advisor period, like it doesn't have to be me, is that we can take payments rather than one lump sum of your vacation. So if you plan far enough in advance, and that, I think that goes for anything, it's like planning far enough in advance, then you can pay over time with your vacation so that it makes it a I guess, I don't want to say affordable, but it makes it doable in the long run, if that makes sense. Yeah. So national parks, state parks, road trips, big destinations. Yeah. (laughs) Or even just like what you mentioned earlier about doing smaller trips, even if it's a weekend, staying at a hotel, even in the same city, but has a pool. So it feels like you're somewhere different. Yeah, you're on vacation. And you can still relax and have that quality time together. Exactly. And then even because something we did really recently with the pandemic happening is I just didn't really want to like leave the state. I booked like a hotel stay like in our our local area and we did all the attractions in our area that like we would have never done because we live here, you know. So we <laughs> yeah. visited the zoo. We visited like um, there's these mines that are in our local area that like they're not mines, but it's like rock formations. Um, what they call they're called mines. <laughs> but like visiting those, seeing like. Oh, we went up to Pikes Peak, which is so beautiful, actually. And just like checking out destinations in our local area that we absolutely, absolutely would never do because we live here, right? It's like people that live in Arizona and never go to the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is still in many ways a vacation, you know, because you're not doing something in your norm. 
you're playing Taurus. Mm-hmm. And that can also go right back to what we were saying earlier with this, the planning small of like, just do these little tiny snippet trips and it can make the idea of travel easier and more affordable. Yeah. And maybe finding something that your child is super interested in and tying that in. Like if they have a special interest in art, for example, going to see a museum, a children's museum where they can really have fun. A lot of, oh yeah. Like like when, you know, my son is into art. So we've been on this journey of going to Meow Wolf. It's a interactive art installation in three cities now in the country. And we've been to two of them. Just got to get to the third one. But like even a trip to one of those cities would be, you know, pretty affordable just with the idea of like, I'm planning my trip around this art museum. And then you could take time because those art museums are pretty, it's not big, but they have a lot to look at. So like more than one visit Mm. could, you know, happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you work with autistic adults as well, right? I would like to. I haven't yet. Okay. I think maybe it's the stage of my my life right now is because I talk a lot about traveling with kids and I might be a little bit off-putting for adults, but I would like to. And I've entered into conversations with autistic adults. I just haven't done it yet. <laughs> okay. Well, I know a lot of autistic adults who are fans of Disney and would probably really enjoy some kind of Disney vacation too. Oh, yeah. Oh, Disney. It's such a, (laughs) it's an amazing place, but overwhelming Mm -hmm. all in the same bundle. (laughs) Right. All right, Dina, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to parents who are maybe in the planning process of their trip and wanting to make their kids feel more comfortable? Ah, I love this question. And it's something, another conversation that I have with clients when we are working in the planning phase together, and that is to include your child in the planning process. So for example, my son plans like 90% of our trips. And when I say that, I'm saying it very loosely in that I present him options of things that I feel comfortable or that are within my budget to do. So we're really big Harry Potter fans. So of course we want to go to Universal, right? And I would present him like, hey, I know you don't like roller coasters, but here are the options for the rides at Harry Potter. Which one is your must-do? And we'll only do one. And then he chooses which ones that he wants to do. And or like I'm planning a trip to New York City with him. And like what – here's the things that we can do in New York. I give him like three options. He chooses them. And then we start building our itinerary based off of like what he has chosen so that not only does it negate some of the anxiety with the planning process and leaving home and stuff like that, but it also makes him feel invested in the trip because his opinion in turn matters about what we are doing when we're going on vacation. It's not just mom planning it. It's him saying, oh, but this is actually my trip too. Like not whatever mom wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that he feels, I mean, I hope that he feels that way, that he is given the opportunity to choose instead of, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Having that sense of autonomy is just so important for these kids. I feel the same way of just giving that, giving that opportunity. So I think that's the biggest thing is just, yeah, just involving them in the planning process and allowing them to feel invested in the entire thing. And then... Another thing that I do for clients is POV videos. And especially if you're not planning a trip with me, I think this goes like for anybody, but 
being able to present like what does the hotel or what does your room possibly look like? So finding POVs on YouTube or other video streaming websites, finding what you know, what does Hagrid's magical motorbike event to look like? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, well, let's go to the internet and find out what to expect when we're on the ride so it's not so scary when we go and get on the ride. Or like one of my favorite beaches in Hawaii is the Koalina Lagoons. Like what do the lagoons look like? Do we have shade when <laughs> we go to those lagoons and those kinds of things? And it's nice that like with the prevalence of the internet, it's so nice that people are creating this content so that I in turn can share or, you know, other families can look this up themselves of like POVs and that like for some of my clients, it's definitely helped them not feel as anxious about going somewhere. Oh my, cause like, sorry, I, I didn't actually work with her, but I did have a conversation with an autistic adult about Disney and how she was just really nervous about not having control over the situation at Disney, which is totally understandable. It's completely chaotic there sometimes, but being able to, you know, assure her like, Hey, this is what time the parade is going to be at. This is what the view looks like from XYZ restaurant. If you go here, you'll have a a quiet view of the parade. You're not going to be around a bunch of people and just being able to like have a candid conversation with your child or maybe your friends (laughs) about what it's going to look like when you're traveling Instead of like, surprise, we're going to Disney World. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's never going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Dina, how can people learn more about you and your business, your company? Yeah, so I am on Instagram. That's where I'm mostly at. I don't do TikTok right now. I'm someday maybe, but <laughs> so, um, you can find me at Lily and Magnolia Travel on Instagram and Facebook. And then it's just Lily in Magnolia Travel on Twitter and then www.liliamagnoliatravel.com for my website. And that's, um, the website's probably the best place to reach out to me because you, you'll get me direct with email. Sometimes it takes a little bit for me to <laughs> respond on social media, but yeah, those are the main four places you can find me. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, this conversation has kind of activated my travel bug again, and I can't <laughs> wait to go on my next trip. Hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Some parents of autistic children think that vacations are out of the question for their family. They may worry about how their child will react in new places, whether their needs will be met while on the road, or if a disruption in routine will cause a meltdown. An increase of autism-certified centers around the world means more and more staff are being trained to respond appropriately to autistic needs. As parents feel more comfortable taking family vacations and bringing their autistic loved ones out in public, they're helping to promote inclusion and normalization of autism in the community. Like Dina, are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe 
are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.